Our next segment is the latest installment in our serious business debates sponsored by Salesforce, in which we debate some of the hottest topics in American business and economy issues today. Uh, this one's a little different from what we've done in the podcast before. This was an actual, this is adapted from an actual live debate that we conducted earlier this month in Dallas on the topic resolved. Energy is so important to American business that the government should support renewable energy sources. Uh, we had two teams of two debaters taking the con side of the debate were Ed Ireland of the Barnett Shale Energy Education Council and Bud Weinstein from uh, Southern Methodist University's McGuire Energy Institute. On the pro side were Charlie Hamiline from the Texas Solar Power Association and Shalini Ramanathan of the uh, firm RES Americas. Uh, let's listen in to a little bit of how the debate went. All right. The way we're going to start is, you know, we were going to flip a coin. We forgot oh, to flip the coin. coin. You can call it. It's your coin. Uh, uh, tails. Tails. It is, in fact, tails. Yeah. You get to choose whether you want to open or close the debate. We'll, we'll open. You'll open it. Okay. So we'll argue against the resolution. Uh, both sides will make opening statements for a total of five minutes. Take it away, Con. I hate to be called a con because in some ways I don't disagree with the statement. I think it really has to do with your interpretation of promote. Uh, for example, I don't have any problem with the federal government uh, promoting research into battery storage technology, let's say. But I do have a problem with the egregious direct subsidies that have been in place for about 20 years and have cost uh, taxpayers about $150 billion in terms of subsidies to wind and solar. And, and the return for that investment is that today about 5% of our electricity comes from wind and solar. If, if you'll think back, the initial impetus for re renewables maybe 20 years ago was that, hey, we're running out of oil and gas. What are we gonna do for an encore? And, and that's when we first started to see investment and, and subsidies for wind, solar, biofuels, uh, ethanol, what have you. Uh, I think today the argument is more that uh, we want to subsidize renewable energy to help compensate for the costs of pollution that are generated from burning fossil fuels. But I think that argument may ignore the fact that the air today is a lot cleaner than it was 20 years ago. Uh, you know, SO2 is down 80%, NOx. NOx is down 75%, mercury is down 55%. Overall greenhouse gas emissions are lower today than they were in 1995, even with an economy that's 50% larger. Methane emissions have dropped 15% in recent years, while the amount of natural gas production has increased uh, tremendously. So, um, you know, I would argue that cheap and abundant natural gas has had a lot more to do with improving uh, the environment than govern government subsidies for renewables or new restrictions on coal-fired boilers, renewable portfolio standards, and the like that, that many states have, have, have added. There, there, to my mind, there are two primary drawbacks to renewables. And, and one is that right now they just don't offer the same energy density that you find with fossil fuels. And 
they're intermittent power sources. You know, as I said, one of these days, maybe we'll have huge you know, battery storage uh, capacity where we can store those electrons and use them when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining. I don't know if that's 40 years down the road or 100 years down the road. But in any case, we're going to need more natural gas and nuclear power plants in order to ensure uh, the integrity of the power grid. And that's another serious issue with renewables, particularly in the state of Texas, where we've got 16 gigawatts of installed wind, and there are some days when wind is pumping 20% of the electrons into the, in, into the ERCOT grid, which sounds great, except it really messes up the finances of investor-owned utilities, uh, particularly when they're selling into the grid at negative rates. Do you know that so far this year, there have been more negative wholesale hours than in all of 2011 to 2015. So I, I would agree that renewables have an important role to play in America's energy future. My question is, when do we subject them to the market test? Okay, opening statement from the pro side, please. Cool. Thanks for having us. Um, happy to be here. Historically, all energy and electricity sources have been publicly supported. That is just an important thing to realize from the very beginning. Energy has always been so critical to civilization that we've always had some support for it to make sure that it happens. No single private company would ever put so much of their own money at risk to build a giant power plant or a giant transmission line without some public assurance of earning a return on that investment. Then and now, fossil fuel industries have benefited from that public support, just to name a few things. Nuclear energy enjoys limits on industry liability through the Price-Anderson Act. Coal has received royalty discounts on coal mined from federal lands. Natural gas receives tax deductions at the federal level for so-called intangible drilling costs, and at the state level here in Texas for so-called high-cost gas. One recent study quantified all of that support as being worth over $8 billion annually for the past 50 years with oil and gas support going back another 50 years, so 100 years of support towards those industries. The Congressional Research Service reports that across 67 years of federal R&D efforts, fossil and nuclear sources have received 74% of the federal funding, with only 12% going to renewable energy. Critical federal investments in fracking research laid the foundation for the shale gas boom we've had over the past 10 years. All of that being said, we weren't wrong to do it providing that public support for those energy sources. That's what we had to work with. And American business benefited from having plentiful, affordable, reliable sources to work from. Renewable energy sources are simply broadening that portfolio and are equally worthy of public support. So the question is, why should you all care about this? Certainly, renewable energy has wide societal benefits such as local economic development, water savings, no pollution, or stress on climate. But for you personally as businesses and as consumers, what makes a difference is that renewable energy represents a real economic benefit for you. It's cost-competitive power with a stable pricing, less uncertainty. Who else is willing to sign a 20-year power contract with you today? Wind and solar companies are happy to do that. Unlike other sources, we know what our costs are going to be 20 years down the road. Zero. They're zero, because the fuel is free. That's just how it is. And American businesses are taking notice. Leading corporations such as Walmart, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Ikea, Microsoft, have all signed large wind and solar deals recently, because they see it's a good fit for their bottom line. Right here in the Dallas area, Toyota recently signed a big solar deal for their North American headquarters. The smart companies are taking action. Renewable energy sources are a valuable addition to the energy portfolio, and government should support their continued development. 
Okay. Uh, five minutes of questions from me to both sides, starting with the pro side. There are two things in uh, Bud's opening statement that I'd like you to address. Um, the first is the role of the market. Uh, isn't it the case that market discipline will make solar, wind, and other renewable companies more disciplined, more effective, and more competitive rather than relying on government subsidies? So let me, let me address that. Imagine, I think a lot of the people in this room are entrepreneurs, you have businesses. So imagine that you have a new product, but your competitor has been getting eight billion with a B, let's just be clear about that, dollars a year for the past 50 years. You can't compete with that without a level playing field. Now, if it were possible to build a time machine and go back and take away all the supports, we think we're competitive. It's not just me. You don't have to take it from me. Excel Energy, they're a utility, and they recently announced they want to buy 550 megawatts of wind. They looked at everything, including combined cycle natural gas, and they chose wind because it's cost competitive. The idea that we're more expensive is an absolute fallacy. The question isn't so much the expense. The, the question is really whether the industry will, will, will evolve in a more effective way if left to its own devices. I guess that's, that's the, the heart of it. We, I would say that we are competing in all of these markets. We're, we're just competing in these markets where our competitors have public support already and historically that have given them entrenched uh, advantage in terms of having their plants built uh, and online, and now we're trying to build plants as well, and it's very tough to do that. But uh, prices are falling. The market is working. The right. price for solar has fallen 82% since? Yeah, 82% since 2009. Incredible drop in solar prices. Let's have the con team address this issue of historic subsidies to fossil fuel companies. Um, assuming that there's, the statistics offered are, are, are accurate, tens of billions of dollars, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars over the years, why shouldn't renewable energy companies benefit from the same types of subsidies? <clears throat> well, I think you've got to be careful in how you define subsidies for it. A lot of people call uh, tax, parts of the tax code, subsidies. For example, uh, oil and gas companies uh, get to deduct, uh, they have a depletion allowance. Uh, that's, that's the same concept as depreciation uh, in, in your industry. Um, and the uh, intangible drilling cost deduction is uh, meaning deducting the costs of drilling, uh, getting ready to drill an oil and gas well. Uh, now, that's, the, that's in the tax code, and those tax advantages are the same ones or similar to ones that are available to all industries. Uh, that's been turned on its head now in discussions, and that's called uh, subsidies. Um, that's the tax code, and, and for the most part, the oil and gas industry uh, has tax uh, deductions that uh, are uh, not all that different from the, from similar deductions in other industries. I'm, not, slight, I'm slightly scared to ask this question of an economist, but isn't it an indirect subsidy? I mean, it's not it's not inaccurate to call it a subsidy. It's not direct, but from a budgetary point of view, it, it has the same effects, does it not? Well, you're really talking about the Internal Revenue Code that is just uh, you know filled with what are called tax expenditures. But as Ed said, the, the write-offs at the oil and gas industry are no different from the write-offs that are available to any mining or manufacturing industry. And 
I think it's right. They, they really shouldn't be called subsidies. Now, if we want to debate rewriting the tax code, that's, I think, a topic for another day. Okay, we'll come back. <laughs> we'll come back next month and do tax code. Um, I, I want, there's one other point in the opening statement that I wanted you to take on, and that is this question of the reliability of renewable sources. The, the, that they are simp, because the wind isn't always blowing and the sun isn't always shining, we can't get enough power to the sort of base load in, in order to to make these complete. And so using solar and wind actually only ends up increasing the dependence on fossil fuels and nuclear to make up the difference. Isn't that a, a major problem? So, you know, I, I could tell you what I think, but I think it's more interesting to listen to what someone else said. Uh, Trip Doggett, at the time he said this, he was the head of ERCOT, which is the organization that runs the Texas grid. In February 2011, we had a crazy winter storm Hundreds of megawatts of fossil plants went offline, and Trip Doggett said, you can Google it, you can Google the quote, uh, a special thanks to the wind industry for their special contributions, which kept the lights on that day. That, I think, is what you call reliability. Wind and solar are making an essential contribution. Now, it's true that they're intermittent, but here's the way the grid works. The reason we have an electric grid is every part of the grid backs up every other part of the grid, which is why diversity with, with renewable resources is really key. You don't want just West Texas wind. You want South Texas wind. You don't want just solar in San Antonio. You want solar in West Texas. So when you have a diversified renewable resource, it works. All right. Uh, we are now going to go to the heart of the debate where the teams ask questions of each other. Let's start with the pro team. Your questions for the con team, please. Sure. So the, the AP recently reported that the plugging of 10,000 oil wells abandoned Texas due to the recent downturn would cost $165 million, which is double the entire budget of the agency that regulates the industry. Texas regulators now want taxpayers to cover more of the cleanup. Why should public money go to clean up, cleaning up the industry's mess? Actually, the, um, and, and the numbers you, you quoted, I, I've read myself, but the, uh, the industry, the oil and gas industry in Texas has been contributing for decades uh, into a fund for plugging uh, abandoned wells, orphaned wells, and um, I, I don't have the numbers at hand to say if that's sufficient at this point, uh, but uh, most likely that will not uh, uh, include public funds. It will come from that fund. Uh, in fact, uh, the oil and gas industry in Texas a few years ago actually voted uh, or, or lobbied the Railroad Commission to increase the contribution that, that they required for this fund. So uh, the industry uh, has traditionally funded that, uh, that process of plugging abandoned wells, and, uh, and as far as I know, that will continue to be the case. It just isn't enough, and that's, that's the issue. Uh, another question from the pro side? Well, I have a question. Um, my company, we own two of the biggest battery storage plants in the U.S. They're 220 megawatt battery storage plants in, in Illinois. Storage is happening. These projects are real. So I guess my question is, do I have a time machine where you think this stuff is 50 years in the future, but I'm doing it today? Well, I'm not familiar with your particular company, but if we're talking about you know, replacing uh, or having <clears throat> a battery storage capacity for 
hundreds of uh, gigawatts that are currently coming from fossil fuel power stations, I think that is a long time in the future. And even the president's Department of Energy, the Energy Information Administration, just recently said that fossil fuels will continue to supply the majority of America's energy needs, at least through the year, it was either 2040 or 2050. And I, I think we need to be realistic. Ed, I'm sure Ed and I are not intrinsically opposed to renewable energy, but you cannot base a long-term energy strategy in this country solely on renewables, efficiency, and conservation. Shawnee, does your, does your battery technology scale? Can it meet the types of demands that Bud is talking about? Absolutely, and the issue is that battery storage is not actually about renewables, it's about the grid. And so if you combine it, and we're not against fossil fuels, I mean, natural gas is clearly uh, an important fuel. I will say that coal is more problematic, that's the fossil fuel that, uh, that's challenged. Uh, but a combination of distributed, uh, wind and solar in the right areas so that you have geographic diversity combined with, uh, you know, other measures within the grid like ancillary services, very geeky, I apologize, um, and storage and natural gas, all of that works. But wind and solar have a huge contribution to make in that. How about a question from the con side for the, for the opposite team? One uh, can you explain, and this doesn't deal directly with renewables, but can you explain to me why virtually all of the mainstream environmental organizations have abandoned natural gas as part of the, what they, they, the bridge to the new energy future, whatever you want to call it. We all know it's abundant, it's cheap, it has a much smaller carbon footprint, and yet all the environmental groups who used to support natural gas have now put it on on the keep it in the ground list. Can, can yeah. you explain that to me? I don't understand it. Uh, there's a, one really good reason why. The Environmental Defense Fund did a study and found that um, methane leaks, so leaks in the pipeline and flaring, um, are have, and methane is of course a very powerful greenhouse gas, so those leaks are the equivalent of 240 coal plants in terms of short-term climate impacts. Natural gas can be a clean fuel, I support it, but not unless the industry gets serious about containing leaks, and that's why the environmental groups support the truly clean energy resource uh, sources of wind and solar. You know, this raises a question that's, to me, sort of an elephant in the room, and that is climate change. Isn't it the case with the, you know, supposed existence of, of human life on the planet at stake that we should be doing everything we can to reduce greenhouse gases and wean ourselves off fossil fuels? Well, the fact is, of course, renewables can't exist without fossil fuels. They can't replace fossil fuels totally. You think about, uh, I mean, you, you can't build a wind turbine with a wind turbine. Uh, you, you've got to have a lot of components that ultimately come from fossil fuels. For example, uh, the, the blades, the giant blades on a, on a wind turbine are, are for the most part some kind of composite material, which basically is plastic. Layers of plastic that are epoxied together to make that. Plastic, a derivative of oil and natural gas. Uh, many of those components are constructed overseas in China. Uh, they come over in ships. 
Ships burn bunker fuel, which is just one step above asphalt. It's one of the dirtiest fuels around. Uh, that's, how, that's how those materials get here. Uh, and then uh, they have to be trucked. If you drive up and down I-35, you see these blades all the time going up and down the road. They have to be trucked uh, in, into place. Dozens of trucks come in there. They use massive amounts of steel and concrete. Steel and concrete require open flames to manufacture. Uh, they can't exist without fossil fuels. And there's a, uh, seems to be a, a myth that somehow uh, uh, solar and wind can produce electricity that can completely displace all fossil fuels. And that's an absolute total impossibility. And, and certainly, wind and solar can't replace uh, petrochemicals, which are the building blocks for so many of the products that we use in our daily lives. Pro team, how do you respond to that? I'd say uh, it's a great opportunity to displace a lot of that impact. Certainly, um, wind is about 5% of our energy electricity portfolio. Solar is about 1%. Because of all those practical uses of fossil fuels for materials and plastics, you're going to not want to have those same fuels used for daytime electricity production when solar and wind are perfectly capable of providing emission-free electricity power production. Um, it's a matter of growing the wind and solar uh, portfolio and component to be a much bigger contributor, allowing us to back off our usage of fossil fuels in that area where it's in many ways totally redundant um, and use the fossil fuels in areas like certain material production and specialty uses where at the moment those are truly the only uh, materials that can be used for that. So it's a question of scale. If, if, it, gets, if it gets big enough, that would presumably address your, your concern. Well the, other part of it. well, the other part of the fossil fuel requirement is, uh, Bud mentioned, uh, uh, stabilizing the grid, backing up the uh, wind and solar when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. And uh, right now, uh, the number I saw recently was that about 1% of the storage capacity that would be needed to not have backup facilities uh, is in place, 1%. And uh, so that, uh, Bud mentioned 50 years, that, I mean, that could be, could come sooner, but, uh, and that, that, those backup fuel plants, which now mostly are natural gas because mm -hmm. they can be uh, turned up and down very quickly, um, pretty much has, has to be a one-to-one -one, uh, backup for the number of megawatts mm -hmm. in place for wind and solar because uh, the wind and solar can go from 20 or 30 percent on one day to yeah zero on another. And so you've got to have almost the same amount of backup uh, at, uh, megawatt capacity as you do for, as you have, have in place for the wind and solar. You know, I'd like to use a, an example. You were using Mr. Doggett's example of how fortunate we were to have that, that wind. Uh, on, I, I forget what was going on weather-wise. But I also remember August 3rd, 2011, which was the hottest day in Texas this century. And in the middle of the afternoon, uh, in the middle of August or early August in West Texas, the wind wasn't blowing. And wind was only pumping about 1% to 2% of power into the grid. And we were literally up at our capacity. Uh, I mean, we just barely missed having brownouts and blackouts because of voluntary cutbacks. You know so, what would have been great then? More solar. <laughs> that would have been really great at that moment. 
Yeah, solar, solar probably would have helped, but unfortunately, in today's price environment, we're seeing a tremendous drop in solar investments, not only here, but around the world. We're seeing the opposite. We, we just announced, my company just signed a deal with Garland Power, which is in the Dallas area, for, uh, for a, a large solar plant in West Texas. I think the, the growth curve for solar is actually, you know, and it's been interesting to see that the prices have come down where it can compete. It's tight, it's tough, we innovate, we cut costs, but it's possible for us to compete even in a low natural gas price environment. And I wanna, I wanna make a comment about the intermittency because it's certainly a concern that comes up and it's important to remember that all energy sources are intermittent and Shalini referred to the grid supporting itself because all generation needs backup and load needs backup because everybody in here has the ability to go turn on and off lights and do whatever they want with electricity. So it's all a part of what grid operations are all about. And the ERCOT, the grid operator here in Texas and really everywhere, already has to back itself up, not, not on account of wind and solar specifically, but on account of all generation and what all load might be doing. Khan, do you have another question for the pro team? Uh, I'm curious about, uh, you know, one, one component of the manufacturing of, uh, of solar uh, and uh, wind uh, equipment is uh, the, uh, the uh, rare earth minerals, rare earths. And uh, I read very little or hear very little about it, but uh, they are required uh, in, in both wind and solar uh, uh, equipment, as I understand it. and um, China has the lock on rare earth minerals, and the mining of rare earth minerals is one of the most environmental devastating uh, activities on the planet. Uh, the way it's mined, uh, acids and, uh, and different things, uh, and so uh, it, there is a tremendous negative environmental impact associated with these rare earths. So I'm curious how, uh, I, I mean, what, what the industry thinks about the fact that those are required, uh, and there's the possibility that uh, China could uh, just stop exporting some of those on a whim uh, and, uh, or for some kind of uh, competitive reason. And uh, where would that leave the, uh, the wind and solar industry? You know, for purely business reasons, the industry, you asked what the industry is doing, it's, it's a very good issue. Um, and the industry is looking for alternatives because you never want to be beholden to any one supplier, especially when it's, uh, you know, a geopolitical complexity. So, you know, we're finding solutions and substitutes for it. Right. And in, in terms of mining impacts, I, obviously coal mining and, and other associated drilling has had a tremendous impact as well. Mining that would happen for solar would be to produce a very small amount of a substance that goes into a panel that lasts for 40 years and uses a pollution-free resource over time. Whereas with mining of coal or gas or other sources, you have to burn every bit that you mine. It, every bit that you mine is the fuel and then it's gone. Um, that is the, the essence of what the renewable energy is about. It is renewed. I want to ask one more question uh, to the to the pro team, um, and and that has to do with the the nature of of government subsidies to private companies. Um, we hear it said over and over again that government is not very good at picking winners and losers. Certainly, when Solyndra went under a few years ago, it raised the question of why should taxpayers be supporting these companies that clearly don't have viable businesses. 
So Solyndra always comes up. It's always fun because the, the, the political argument got very uh, pointed in that. Solyndra is completely old news. The industry is 25 times larger than it was even when that happened. It was an R&D effort, and it was actually, uh, it's actually a success that they went under. Solyndra was uh, banking on silicon prices staying high. And the market was such that silicon prices went down because manufacturing got so much better. So their technology bet didn't work out. Companies make technology bets all the time and sometimes they don't work out. And the point of that federal uh, loan guarantee program was to make some long-term bets to, to really see if we can make some improvements. It turns out that the 99% of the other awards paid out just fine. But you could have had that same result with the market, right? It's, it was no, there was no need to, I, I take your point that it was a positive outcome from the point of view of the market, but the market could have done that on its own, couldn't it? Um, well, it's kind of like ask the nuclear industry, could you have built all that, all those power plants without uh, reducing your industry liability of a meltdown? And I think their answer would have been no. I also say that the energy industry, as is an old boss of mine used to say, is not for sissies. Like on both sides <laughs> of this platform, it is the energy industry is littered with people who've gone bust. Chesapeake, Peabody, um, it's not just Solyndra. Okay, uh, we'll move on to closing statements. Khan, uh, you start. Bud mentioned uh, in the beginning in, uh, of his remarks that uh, a lot of the incentive uh, and interest in wind and solar uh, came at a time when uh, the prevailing theory was called peak oil and peak natural gas was a time when uh, uh, a lot of people were convinced that uh, fossil fuels were uh, uh, coming to an end, that we had used them up. Uh, in fact, in 1978, President Jimmy Carter said in a speech, uh, we have found all the natural gas there is in the United States. And, uh, and then uh, the shale energy revolution uh, started, right here in North Texas, by the way, uh, and uh, in the Barnett Shale. And the amount of natural gas reserves and now crude oil that has come out of that shale revolution is mind-boggling. Uh, we went from, uh, say, in 1978, a time when uh, the President of the United States was saying, we only have a few years of natural gas left. Now we have hundreds of years of natural gas uh, in the ground in the United States. Uh, the same is for crude oil. In fact, a recent study just was released uh, this week uh, showing that the United States has more natural gas and crude oil reserves than any country in the world, more than Saudi Arabia and uh, more than Russia. So we're not in a position of running out of fossil fuels. Uh, in fact, we've just now started, uh, we had to repeal some old laws so we could export crude oil and export natural gas. And uh, the, the, the uh, United States will be a net exporter of natural gas in just about one more year. Uh, that, that's never happened. So uh, we're in a totally different environment. Uh, but also mentioned that uh, because we've been using more natural gas in this country, specifically uh, replacing coal-fired electric generating plants with natural gas-fired plants, that uh, our air is cleaner uh, than it's ever been. Uh, NOx and CO2, CO2, everyone wants to focus on, on CO2 uh, as a greenhouse gas. Uh, it is now uh, below 1995 levels, and that's because of natural gas. So what we have is a situation of innovation and market forces 
that have really uh, are uh, replacing the need for uh, uh, renewable type uh, energy sources. Now, there's a place for everything, but the bottom line is uh, the market needs to work. Subsidizing industries uh, actually uh, disincentivizes them to innovate uh, because they become insulated from market forces. I'll tell you a quick story. In uh, Two years ago, the price of oil was $100 a barrel. Uh, if you ask the industry uh, the lowest price they could make money, they'd say, they said $80 a barrel. When the price was $80 a barrel, you asked the same question, they said, well, we need 60. Now the price of the oil is uh, 45, and uh, they're saying, yeah, we can make money now at 45. Why was it a moving target? Innovation. There's been a tremendous amount of innovation uh, in the last few years uh, as companies have had to, uh, oil, com oil and gas companies have had to uh, deal with the pricing environment they're in. They have uh, reduced the cost of finding oil and natural gas. So the bottom line is, uh, great, come one, come all. We need all energy sources. Uh, renewable sources need fossil fuel uh, to exist and to operate. But uh, you need to do it on your own. Be in the market. Uh, be subject to competition and uh, innovate and uh, uh, find your own place in the world, but don't expect the taxpayers to provide that uh, an underlying uh, safety net for you. Thank you. And the last word goes to the pro team. You have a little more than the two and a half minutes allotted. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I think it's wonderful that life in the U.S. Uh, in environmental terms is getting better. That's, that's great. It's great for all of us. But the U.S. is in this, you know, this this thing called the, the planet. And on a planetary level, things aren't getting better. They're getting worse. Um, I'm, I'm from India. I was in Delhi in, in January. And uh, I love that city. And I don't want to go back because the air quality is so awful. American companies have banned uh, their employees with young children from living in Delhi because of concerns about the impact to their health. And on a planetary level, we are, the climate crisis is real. I mean, here in Texas, we've seen droughts, we've seen periods of prolonged rain, we've seen unpredictability, and all of that is going to get worse. So the fact that we have an abundance of natural gas, which I agree with, doesn't solve the problem. It's a little bit like diet. The problem with, you know, with health isn't, in, in this country, isn't that we don't have enough food, it's that we have too much and we don't have enough control around it. And little and fossil fuels are a little bit like that is the problem isn't scarcity, it's the fact that they're abundant and really not good for us. Um, I was thinking about why this debate is happening. And I think it's because renewable energy is new. It hasn't been around for a hundred years. We acknowledge that. And the problem with the new is that it isn't old, right? And any time that since someone comes up with something new, there's someone else that says, it just isn't going to work. When Facebook came, there were people who said, no one's got time for that. That's, that's never going to take off. Turns out, we've got time. And renewable energy is a lot like this, is that a lot of the challenges that, are, that the con team has mentioned are real. There's no doubt that integration, grid stability, all of it is real, market design. But just the, the, the way that we all find time to post cat photos on Facebook, we will find the answers because at the end of the day, the new tends to win. 
Um, in terms of what American business wants, and that's what the debate resolution is about, um, my partner mentioned a lot of the companies that have bought renewable energy. Well, one of them is Salesforce. We're a client. My company's a client. I use them every day. And Salesforce has signed two contracts with wind energy companies, one for a project in West Virginia, one here in Texas, so they can be 100% green. So if the resolution is about what does American business want, They've spoken. They want the support for renewable energy because it's such a critical input and ultimately because they want a clean planet the way that we all do. That concludes the debate. Please join me in thanking our debaters.